In the uh, book of Revelation, uh, chapter 5, the Apostle John, who is having a vision of the inner workings of heaven, really, uh, and, uh, and there are things going on there that are amazing, uh, and, uh, but there's one point where um, all, all attention is directed to um, a being, an infinite being, and, and uh, John sees him as both a lion and a lamb. Uh, at one point, he looks at him and he says, I saw a lamb that was slain. And then he looks again and he sees a lion, the lion of Judah, he calls. And uh, we're to understand from that that Jesus is both of those things, that he is both the lamb and the lion. In his for our sin role, that's basically his savior role, where the lamb was slain for our sins, paid for our sins, died on the cross. But then we also discover his lion role, uh, uh, where he has risen majestically from the grave, uh, conquered it utterly, and is changing everything through his, through his uh, uh, powerful, authoritative lion's role in the universe. And, uh, and so John saw both of those things and was amazed at, at what he saw. And so this morning we're, uh, we're looking at Jesus the Lord, Jesus the lion, uh, the lion of Judah. And, uh, and it's a privilege to be able to do that. The word, the word Lord occurs a lot of times through the New Testament. Uh, it comes from a Greek word. Uh, the Greek word is kurios, K-U-R-I-O-S. And, uh, and it has many different meanings. Uh, it's interesting to investigate some of the meanings that, that kurios has throughout the New Testament. And, uh, and uh, some of, so it was an everyday word. Um, um, it, it was a word that a, uh, if, a, if, a, if a master had been away and was returning home, the slave would say, welcome home, Lord. Uh, it was just a term of respect, uh, just an everyday word. It didn't mean deity or God or anything like that. Uh, you might meet someone on the street, uh, perhaps, who is your teacher in some way, and you would say, hello, Lord. Uh, it, 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 it would translate into uh, today how we might use the word sir, or mister, in its mildest form, curios, Lord. We would ad address one another that way. So when the, when the uh, disciples first met Jesus, you know, by the Sea of Galilee, and they began to follow him and learn from him, they called him Lord. You can read them calling him Lord all the way through the Gospels. Uh, and I think it all started out as a term of great respect. This is a very respectful person, a great teacher, and, uh, and he is worthy of us calling him curios. But as time went along, their understanding of what Lord meant when they applied it to Jesus began to change. They began to see these amazing miracles. They saw uh, the, the blind healed, the deaf were able to hear, paraplegics were raised up to life, the dead were raised. Uh, there was that one poignant moment uh, after a great storm on the Sea of Galilee. They were in the boat. They were frightened for their lives. And Jesus calmed the storm with a word. And the disciples kind of huddled together and they said, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey his voice? And they were realizing that this person we've been calling Lord, Lord is taking on a whole new dimension. And then, you know, uh, he, he was arrested and beaten and uh, betrayed and crucified on the cross. And, uh, and then three days later, he rose from the dead and they were, they were stunned and, and amazed and their emotions were like being whipsawed back and forth depressed, discouraged, all is, all is lost when he was crucified, and then, 
wow, could it be when he was risen from the dead? The uh, Thomas, called the Doubting Thomas, said, I don't, I don't believe he's been raised from the dead. And finally, Thomas met Jesus in person. And the words that came out of his mouth were, my Lord and my God. Like there's a supreme title being given to Jesus. And so the early church began to spread the gospel. And a little later, the apostle Paul was writing uh, and describing Jesus. And he described his descent he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so Lord Curios has come a long way from Sir and Mr. And now it is absolute sovereign over the universe to which every tongue would confess and every knee would bow. And so uh, just a little journey there on the word Lord and what it came to mean and understand as Jesus and his person was fully revealed uh, uh, to the uh, early Christians at that time and has, of course, remained so even to this very day. Following Jesus, not only as your Savior, but as your Lord, is central to the path of discipleship. The path of discipleship is all about learning to live joyfully and contentedly under the authority and the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We're all in various stages of that journey. No one fully arrives and says, Jesus is now 100% Lord over every area of my life. Like, who can say that? Nobody. But we are on that journey where we are learning to recognize more of his lordship and surrender more of our lives, our thinking, our words, our actions, our attitudes, our values, surrendering all those aspects of our lives to his authority and his lordship and all that he stands for. <clears throat> Let's read some of the words that Jesus said when he used the word Lord. Slide number one, Luke 6, 46. This is a familiar passage. <clears throat> Jesus asked his disciples at one point, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Jesus gave some of that same teaching in the book of Matthew as well in the Sermon on the Mount, and he talked about building on the rock or building on the sand, like where there is no strong foundation. But it's all tied to him being Lord, and him being Lord implies we should do what he says because he asked the question, why do you call me Lord but don't do? Notice call, do, words, actions. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Like they didn't even say Lord, once, they said it twice. 
sort of like, Lord, Lord, they did all this religious uh, stuff, but, they, but there was not a surrender. They weren't doing what he said. And then he went on to tell the story about someone who did what he said and someone who didn't did, do what he said. Two kinds of lives, one built on the rock, one built on the, on the sand. His lordship shows up in our lives, in our outward actions, but it really has its roots and its, its, its reality in our hearts. And I want to talk about our hearts this morning in a moment. Um, what's, what's going on on the outside of our life can appear good, can appear like, oh yeah, that person's living uh, obediently to Jesus, but uh, there could be something unhealthy about appearances as well. Jesus told the Pharisees, you guys look good on the outside, but I know what's going on on the inside, and uh, it wasn't good. And, uh, and so we need to be examining our hearts as well. There's kind of an unhealthy picture of that where, where perhaps I'm looking good on the outside, but I'm actually being driven by guilt, or I'm being driven by fear, or I'm being driven by religious tradition, or my hunger for rewards. But it's not really a personal response to the person of Jesus. It's other stuff, right? And we're talking this morning about a personal response to the person and lordship and authority of Jesus, who is our Savior and our Lord. <clears throat> There's, you've probably all heard the story about the little boy who's, he was misbehaving and his dad told him to sit down and he didn't. Sit down and he didn't. Finally, he sat down and he had a funny look on his face and his father said, well, what now? And the little boy said, I'm sitting down, but inside I'm standing up. And let's not be that type of Christian. We're outwardly, we're complying, but inwardly something's not right. Let's aim for the heart. We're even inside, inside most importantly of all. We're gladly and happily. That's, that's important, where I'm gladly and happily uh, submitting to the Lordship of Jesus. Let's talk about four different kinds of hearts this morning. Since the heart is really the issue of the whole thing here. We'll talk about an obedient heart, and then we'll talk about a courageous heart. We'll talk about a trusting heart and a grateful heart, and how all of those uh, help us to live under the lordship of Jesus. Admittedly, it is not easy to live under the lordship of Jesus. The lordship of Jesus in a Christian's life is both good news and bad news. It is bad news for your sinful flesh. <clears throat> we still are inhabited by our sinful flesh. And our sinful flesh does not want to submit to the lordship of Jesus. It simply doesn't. It lives in rebellion to Christ. Uh, and so the lordship of Christ is bad news for my flesh, but it's good news for the spirit who lives in me. The Holy Spirit lives inside of a Christian and empowers that, that new part of me, that new man, and his lordship is great news. And there's part of me that wants to follow, and there's part of me that wants to rebel. And if you think, I'm a loser as a Christian because I've always got this battle going on inside of me, let me tell you, you are normal. You are a totally normal Christian. If you have a battle, this is good. Um, because the spirit and the flesh, as Galatians said, are fighting against one another. And we want to be surrendering increasing parts of our, increasing amounts of our life to the Spirit's direction in our life. Let's talk, first of all, about an obedient and submissive heart. I have a question for you. 
Why did I not want to use those words, obedient and submissive heart? Why did I want to say, uh, maybe we should, I should soften that a little bit and call it a, a cooperative heart or a collaborative heart? You know, Lord, I, I hear what you're telling me to do, but could we collaborate a little bit together on this? You know, like there's, there's some subtle, almost passive-aggressive resistance in me to, to not really follow through wholeheartedly with, with what I know he's asking me to do. But So I resisted the temptation, and I said, Let, we need an obedient and a submissive heart. That is true. Now, why are those words suspect today? Why do people kind of go, ooh, I don't like that word, obedience and submissiveness. I'll give you two reasons. I want you to be thoughtful about this. Number one, the devil has poisoned those words. He has twisted them and perverted them and poisoned them. Uh, and he has given those words new meanings uh, in, our, in our day and in our culture. And the meanings that he has attached to those words are that someone who is obedient or someone who is submissive, first of all, does not think for themselves. They're, they're, uh, they're just, they, all they do in life is just do what they're told, do what they're told, do what they're told. You know, and those types of people are weak. They are like lemmings running off a cliff. They are not thinking for themselves. And, uh, and, and that is the message and the messaging that comes to us all the time. And we must be careful of that. Now, we must not obey bad leaders. I do agree with that. But if there is a good leader, and who is better than Jesus, we need to have an obedient and submissive heart. Uh, and uh, it, <clears throat> the devil's line here kind of reminds me of the old poem Invictus. I don't know if you've ever read it or not. It's kind of a, a, a rebellious, blasphemous poem uh, against any authority. And the, the, uh, the writer of that poem, William Henley, or whatever his name is, um, he, he's writing it as, an, as, a, as words of defiance, that he is in charge of his life. Anything that comes against him, he's going to overcome it. He's strong. And, uh, and the, uh, the last, the last uh, stanza of the poem, he says, It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. That's the antithesis to living under the lordship of Jesus, where we are surrendering to him, to a good master, to a good Lord, my soul and my life and my direction and my decisions. It's a choice we all have to wrestle with every single day, maybe many times in the day. The second reason why obedience and submissiveness, etc., are not are. Uh, are not popular words nowadays is because of consumerism. <clears throat> we live in a very consumeristic society uh, where we have people selling people and, and we have customers, customers or consumers. And in our society, the customer is king. The customer is important. And when we're buying something, when we go to the mall, we are the customers. And uh, so we are told, we're here to serve you. You are all important. We will treat you like a god. We will give you two for one. Uh, <laughs> we will we'll give you a deal. You are important. Ah, so glad, you know, and they're just fawning over us. Meanwhile, their right hand is slipping into our pocket to get our money. Jesus will not treat you that way to get your money. You are important to Jesus, as we know, but we're not consumers. We are his servants. He is our Lord. 
we are important to him, more important to him than the customer is to the vendor. But sometimes, though, the salesperson will put you on a pedestal and try to make you happy, 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 important, important, important. Jesus wants to give you the best. <clears throat> he wants to give you a healthy life. And sometimes that means he has to ask you to do things you don't want to do. Sometimes he will ask you to do things that your flesh says, no, no way, I can't. I'm the captain of my soul. I'm the master of my fate. And Jesus says, no, you're not. Any parents here? I know, of course, there are. Do you not have this wrestling match? It's part of the growing up and maturing process. And our ultimate parent is growing us up as well and teaching us and leading us to the best life. Every parent wants the best life for their children. They want them to flourish and be healthy and mature and happy, truly happy. And that is not always by getting my own way and being told I'm king of the mountain. And that's why it can be difficult. When I have an obedient and submissive heart, I am allowing his will to shape and transform my will. Can I read that again? When I have an obedient and submissive heart, I am allowing his will to shape and not crush my will, to shape it and transform my will into alignment with his will. And remember this, dear friends, the one who is asking us to follow this pathway has gone before us as he submitted his will and offered his 100% obedience to his father as he journeyed toward the cross. He's not asking us to do something that he has never done. So today, your Lord, remember we're talking about Jesus as Lord, might be calling you to go out of your way to serve a needy person and not do something that you were intending to do. He might be asking you to make an apology to someone you've wronged. He might be asking you to change an unhealthy habit and pay attention to it. He might be asking you to let go of some bitterness and to forgive. He might be asking you to spend less time doing something and more time spending quality time with God. He might be asking you to speak more truthfully and honestly. It's hard. We have a helper. The Holy Spirit has been sent to live in us to help us on this very journey. I would ask you strongly to ask him to help you. You say, well, I asked him yesterday and it didn't do any good. Ask him today. Ask him tomorrow. Ask him Tuesday. Ask him Wednesday. Ask him every day the rest of your life. He is there to help you do this hard thing. The second kind of heart we need is a courageous heart. <clears throat> to live in a meaningful way with Jesus as Lord in your life is perhaps the hardest thing you will ever do. After a lifetime, you will find you haven't completely arrived and you might wonder, has it been worth it? <clears throat> You'll find yourself almost constantly swimming against the current. There will be moments when your choices are not popular when you might be criticized or even persecuted for your loyalty to Jesus. And that is very, very hard. Peer pressure is unbelievably powerful in our life. 
<clears throat> the problem with living under the lordship of Jesus in our world is that in our world there are many other lords who are also demanding our allegiance and also trying to shape our will after their will. And there's this battle. There are contrary winds of different lifestyles and philosophies. There are prevailing currents of thought and assumptions and values and popular moral and political trends that are difficult to navigate. It is difficult. You know what? Sometimes we say, oh, it's so hard in our day and age. It's harder than it's ever been. I don't know if it's harder than it's ever been, but it has always been. It's always been hard. And let us stop, maybe speak to myself here, moaning and groaning in the corner about how hard it is and start asking God for courage to do hard things. Courage doesn't mean you have no fear. It means you overcome your fear by the grace and the help of God. Let's read a couple of the early disciples and their courage. Acts 4, slide number 2. Here was Peter and John, and they'd been uh, preaching the gospel in the early days of the church, and they'd healed a man, and then they explained it all, and they preached it about Jesus, and, uh, and then they got called up on the carpet, and they ran into trouble. And the religious leaders threatened them with physical violence if they continued to preach about Jesus, picking it up in verse 18, Acts 4, 18. Then they, the religious leaders, called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And then the story goes on. And uh, they were threatened. And they went out and found their companions, their fellow Christians, had a rousing prayer meeting. And then they continued to preach anyway. And very soon got into more trouble. I like these courageous guys. They didn't say, we will not stop preaching about Jesus. They said, we can't. There's a difference. They simply can't. What we've seen, what we've heard, the world needs to know about it, and, and, and we, can't, we can't shut up. And, uh, and so they had, they had that courage uh, to obey Jesus and to go and preach the message about him to all of their world around them at that time. Once again... The Holy Spirit will help you. He will give you courage, maybe little by little by little by little, but he will give it to you. Ask him persistently. The third kind of heart we need is a trusting heart or a heart of faith because it takes faith to live with Jesus actually as your Lord. Not just words, why do you call me Lord? Not calling, but doing and living out that type of life. Let's listen to the Apostle Paul talk about this just a little bit. Slide number three, 2 Timothy 1, 11 and 12. <clears throat> Paul's just reviewing just a little bit of his life here. And he says, of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Do you hear the words of faith and trust and confidence in Paul's words here? I know whom I have believed. I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What had Paul entrusted to the Lord? Everything. His safety, 
his future, his comfort. Uh, and, and, and sometimes he didn't always have comfort, as we know. But he entrusted his life into God's hands. And we need to do that as well as we embrace the lordship of Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, he is my Lord. He has told me clearly what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. And although I've suffered for it, I'm not turning back. I'm trusting him with my life. I will obey and leave the outcome to him. That takes faith to take that step and go in that direction. It takes faith to build way back up in the bush on a rock and not down on the beach where everybody else is building. I'll make you a promise. It's a, I believe this. I believe it, and then I struggle to live it out, okay? But I do believe it. I believe that living under the Lordship of Jesus Christ will give you the best, the happiest, the most fulfilled, the most mature, the most contented life possible. Isn't that what everybody wants? A lot of people think that they'll get it through a lottery ticket. Uh, and, I, and I hope we know that, no, that, that won't work. It's a lot deeper and richer than just a lot of money. It's about being a person of integrity and living under the very one who created you and saved you. And, and, uh, and this is where we need to have faith, that living that way and obeying Jesus will yield not the easiest life, but the most fulfilled, the most meaningful life possible. Everybody wants that. This is the way to have it. And we need faith to believe that, in fact, God will deliver that very thing. Was, okay, let me ask you about Paul here, where he's talking about his life. Um, did, Paul, uh, did Paul have a lot of wealth? Did he have a summer home in Florida, in a, or in, in the winter, winter home in Florida, summer home in Muskoka? I don't think so. Did, did Paul have his photo all the time on the cover of People magazine, like really popular, famous guy that everybody wanted to be? No. Listen to Paul again. Obeying Christ and sometimes suffering for it. And yet we hear here, we hear here, a confident, self-assured, secured, content man. There, were so there are so many frantic, grasping, clamoring people in the world seeking the very thing that Paul had simply by surrendering his will to his Lord Jesus. And by golly, he flourished as a person. Let's trust that God can give us that very same thing in our lives as we follow Christ. Fourthly, we need a grateful heart. <clears throat> I want to talk to you about two individuals in the New Testament who uh, rise to the surface in the New Testament. There were so many faithful, so many good people, and I suppose we could focus on many of them, but Peter and Paul rise to the surface as two of the greatest servants of the gospel that ever lived. They, they served the Lord fully through suffering all the way to martyrdom. What drove them? What what, uh, what caused them to just keep on going and not turn back? 
What gave them all that courage and that commitment to follow Jesus as their Lord? They were the greatest missionaries and disciple makers and church planters who ever lived. They were just weak men like you and me. They really were. They, they insisted. We're ordinary guys. I would propose to you that they were both deeply grateful men. Grateful to Jesus. And that made all the difference in the world. Let's think of Peter for a moment. Uh, Peter was a disciple. Jesus was arrested. And he was being condemned. And Peter was nearby. And then someone said to Peter, aren't you uh, one of his disciples? And immediately, out of his mouth, strangely came the words, no, I'm not. And then someone else asked him, uh, you're with Jesus, aren't you? No, I'm not. And then there was a third denial as well. No, I'm not. Said He said it with curses. No, I'm blankety blank not. Like it was strong. Why did he, why did he respond that way? It was to save his own skin. He knew that, gosh, they could arrest me and, and throw me into the same... Uh, into the same trial as well. And so Peter denied Jesus three times. But then he was deeply ashamed. Just deeply ashamed. Probably couldn't even look in the mirror for what he had done. He'd abandoned his friend when his friend needed him the most. But a few days later, he meets Jesus, his friend. I wonder what was going through his mind. And he's utterly forgiven. It, the, the grace of Christ just covered everything that Peter had done. Didn't seem like Jesus even brought it up. In fact, not only was he forgiven, he was put into a position of responsibility in leading the early church in Jerusalem. And Peter probably could hardly believe it. I believe Peter was grateful beyond words. Let's think about Paul. Here's another. Seems like the bigger you sinned and the more you for, were forgiven, the, the, more, the more grateful you are. I think that's true. That's why we need to think about how much I've been forgiven so my gratefulness quotient will go up in my life. I think that's really important. Anyhow, Paul, we can read about this slide four if we could have that. Uh, 1 Timothy 1, 12 to 14. <clears throat> this is Paul again just reviewing a little bit of his life. And he says in verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Now, these two words are really important. Even though, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. <clears throat> The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul was a vicious, heartless persecutor of the early Christians before he met Jesus. But then he met the Lion of Judah on the road to Damascus and he was profoundly changed and forgiven of what he'd been doing. And Jesus became his Savior and his Lord from that point onwards. Paul, I also believe, was grateful beyond words for what Christ had done for him. You know, gratefulness doesn't just get you started on the path of discipleship. It sustains you all the way. Do not lose your sense of gratefulness. Do not overlook what Christ has done for you and think about it every single day. It's good to do that because it fuels the fires 
of gratefulness in our life. <clears throat> Let me ask you a question as we close here now. The worship team can come back up. As we thought about the four kinds of hearts, we talked about an obedient and submissive heart to Christ. We talked about a heart of courage. It takes courage to live under the Lordship of Jesus. We've talked about a heart of faith to believe that God can give me the absolute best possible life through following Christ. And we've talked about a heart of gratefulness. Now let me ask you, which one of those four hearts, you only get to choose one. Okay, maybe two, but let's start with one. Which one do you need to pray for the most in your life? The honestly submissive and, and obedient heart? Or do you pray for courage, for faith, or for a deeper understanding of how grateful we must be to Christ. A moment of silence, and then I'll close in prayer. But I want you to think about your life and your heart. Lord, as you know and read the thoughts of every person in this room, <clears throat> we ask you to be very personal to us about this topic. To show us that the Lordship of Christ is not just theology, it's not just Christian doctrine, it's very, very personal. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers and help us along the journey, we pray. Amen.